0: Welcome back. It is week one of the Alec Murdoch trial. And yes, I will probably shift between Murdoch and Murdoch because the judge keeps saying Murdoch and I keep hearing both. And so in my brain, it has become synonymous. But jury selection is underway as I record this. Will we have a jury before the end of the week? I don't know. I'm going to talk a little bit about the jury process and the voir dire process that i have watched this morning what some of the pitfalls are for this case and then we're going to talk about the defense's latest motion yeah the defense on january 18th filed a 60 plus page motion to exclude the blood spatter expert so we know what they're most concerned about in this case because uh they're concerned mandy matney has joined the ranks of, hey, this is a case you're covering, and now you end up in legal documents. It Truthfully, it makes me feel not so alone because there have been more than one cases I have been covering where my name has popped up in legal documents. I'm like, hey, leave me out of it. And if you're going to mention me, it's Emily D. Baker, not just Emily Baker. So, I mean, you know, host of the Emily Show podcast, YouTube lawyer. I'm teasing. The internet's favorite legal analyst that's really more like it. Um, It's been a busy week. You might have seen me around places talking about this case and talking about the Alec Baldwin charges. I'm going to mention that really briefly as we get into the show, but then we've just got to go. We have Emily. Do you say we have a lot to cover every show? Yes. Yes, I do. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm Emily D. Baker, the Internet's go-to legal analyst and big fan of the Cursey Words. I've been a licensed attorney for over 17 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I break down the legal side of pop culture and entertainment stories we can't stop talking about. We should just get into it. Let's go. thank you to today's sponsor manscaped i am so excited about the launch of this new product because it has made dr b's beard glorious and smooth and not stubbly and yummy and i just want to snuzzle it so let's get excited for the manscaped beard hedger just in time for valentine's day the leader in grooming the hair down there is now grooming more of the hair up here no one likes a weird beard. So say goodbye to stubble trouble and help him tame his mane. Not only do I love how even Dr. B's beard is using the Beard Hedger, but I also love the products it comes with. All of the grooming products smell incredible. And you can get all of them in the Beard Hedger Pro kit, including the beard shampoo and conditioner, The beard oil and my favorite, the beard balm. But it also comes with a really incredible brush that just smooths all the hair down and beard trimming scissors. It is a full kit of grooming gloriousness. So get 20% off and free shipping using code LAUNERD. That's manscaped.com, code LAUNERD for 20% off and free shipping. The Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Let's get back to today's show. So Alec and Alec this week, I did a Quick Bits episode on the Quick Bits podcast about Alec Baldwin's charges. I talked about it with everyone. Good Morning Britain and Breakfast with BBC and Court TV and others. So I have talked quite a lot about this case and I have that Quick Bits episode on it. But just a real quick breakdown of what's going on with that Oh, I also covered it over on YouTube. Yep, all over the place. But for us here on The Emily Show, Alec Baldwin was charged. No, that's not right. Alec Baldwin will be charged. It's still confusing to me how this went down. Look, don't say you're going to charge somebody until you charge them. Charge them and then, and then tell everyone that you charged them. But no, the Santa Fe District Attorney released that they will be charging Alec Baldwin with two counts of involuntary manslaughter before the end of the month. That accounts for the two different theories of that crime, which is either doing an illegal thing and then someone accidentally dies or doing a legal thing in essentially a reckless way without due circumscription or caution, but essentially a reckless way, doing a legal thing in a reckless way where somebody then dies. So those are the two different charges. He's facing... Uh, 18 months in custody if he's convicted, plus three years for the gun charge. Some media outlets have reported five years, but when you read the statute and go to the law, that's for a second offense. Once we get the charging documents, we'll be able to see what they add in there. We don't have those yet because those charges, as of recording, have not been officially filed yet. But even when they do, the DA said they're not seeking an arrest warrant. They're going to arraign and they the DA said in their statement that they might arraign it by Zoom. So Alec Baldwin and Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, the armorer that will also be charged, might not even have to fly to New Mexico to be arraigned. Then they'll set a date for a preliminary hearing. Everybody will ask for that to be televised. If it is, I'll cover it live. And then we'll learn more about this case at the preliminary hearing. So that's all really I expect to hear about it, except another announcement saying, and now the charges are officially filed and we'll get to see what those are and see what the conditions of release are. But if they're not even seeking arrest warrants, they're not going to seek many conditions other than don't leave the country and notify us of travel and things like that. So I don't expect to see much. There's a right to a preliminary hearing within 60 days that can be waived by the defendant. So whether we'll see a preliminary hearing soon or whether we'll see it in like six months, like the Idaho case, I'm not sure. But that's kind of the quick rundown. And if you want a more in-depth dive, both on my YouTube channel and on QuickBits, I break down those charges a little more fulsomely but there is a 63 page motion that we're going to talk about today and we need to talk about jury selection in the Murdoch case so we just need to hop to that so let's talk a little bit about jury selection jury selection is underway in the Alec Murdoch murder case um they by midday Monday have jurors numbered well into the 300s I anticipate they sent out maybe 600-plus summons, if not more. The low country of South Carolina, by all reports of those who live there and regularly report there, is it is a small community, and we're seeing that play out in the jury selection process. So what the court is doing is bringing in the larger panels, the veneer of jurors, and that larger panel is coming in, and they are qualifying them. Can these individuals sit as jurors or not? And then moving one panel out and bringing a next panel in. So you will hear the judge excuse a panel once people have been qualified, not asking them in-depth questions, but once people have been qualified, then it's, all right, call us back after 6 p.m. this evening and we'll let you know if you need to come in tomorrow or when, tomorrow being Tuesday as I'm recording this. So what they're doing in qualifying is yeeting anyone who either can't be fair in the case, are related to individuals in the case, are related to witnesses in the case, worked for witnesses in the case. And we're already seeing a lot of, this is my cousin, I know that person, I worked for this other person. There are so many witnesses in the case. It's clear how tight-knit of a community this is by seeing how many jurors have close involvement with witnesses in the case, which is kind of unusual. It was the rare circumstance in LA County that I would have a witness that knew a Uh, or a juror, potential juror that knew a witness that was testifying in the case knew about the case or knew the defendant. It was very, very unusual in a larger county. The defense keeps making rumblings that the media is the problem in this case. Look, man, it is not the media that is the issue in this case, in my opinion. Yes, this has had national and international now coverage, but that's not the thing, though. Alec, Murdoch and his family and their legacy are very, very well known in this community. So even if there was not much media coverage uh, outside of the low country, there was always going to be local interest in this. And even if there wasn't media reporting on this, there are still going to be jurors who know exactly who Alec Murdoch is and from all reports inside the courtroom and what we can hear on the audio feed, which I'm still surprised there is one, and what we hear on the audio feed, it sounds like anybody familiar with Alec Murdoch or the Murdoch family, it sounds like almost everyone in that courtroom stands up to indicate to the judge they know who this is. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be fair. That doesn't mean they haven't heard information about the case or that they have heard information about the case, but it shows how prevalent this family is. This was a massive presence in this smaller community, a very wealthy family, uh, a well-connected family, a famous law firm in the area. And we've seen jurors who have been represented by Alec Murdoch's former law firm, PMPED. We've heard jurors that have worked for people related to lawyers from PMPED. It's just wild. But that level of local interest is more, I think, more problematic than people who might have seen a story on the national news, truly. Also, when the judge is asking them how they saw coverage, they never mention YouTube, your honor. Just just from a YouTuber, people watch YouTube. (laughs) It's not just podcast. Well, this is a podcast. It's not just podcast. We've heard a lot of jurors say that they're familiar with the case. From various specials, including the HBO documentary. One of the defense attorneys actually gave comment in the HBO documentary, which is quite interesting. So they want to say that the media coverage is an issue, but then they use the media coverage to their advantage a lot, in my opinion. And what we didn't see ever from the defense was a motion for change of venue. So I think that indicates to us that the defense at least believes there's a chance that people knowing who Alec Murdoch is is to his advantage and that they are using it to their advantage if they believed that most people in this community were going to be against Alec Murdoch or or have a negative impression of Alec Murdoch then they would have made a change of venue motion ages ago they didn't i think they believe that once you get off of reddit or social media or the you know these weird places on the interwebs the people are largely supportive of Alec Murdoch, and we will see that could be something the prosecutors have to worry about in this case, and that's the process of jury selection, finding out who can be fair. So the judge is qualifying the veneer panels, and then we'll bring them back for the more in-depth questioning. Questions have been submitted to the judge, so the questioning is done by the court and not the lawyers. That's different jurisdiction by jurisdiction. So then we will get into the more in-depth, where do you work? tell us about yourself. Can you be fair in this case into the more in-depth voir And that will come in the days to come. How many veneers they will go through? We don't know. They're anticipating a lot of people needing to be excused. And we're, we are already seeing that, but they anticipated it. I think they called enough jurors. What will be very difficult in this case is if they called for, and this is a number, I don't know the exact number, but if they called for 600 or 800 jurors to be in a veneer, and they qualified the jurors and then run out of those jurors, that could delay this case because then they have to call additional rounds of jurors that have not gotten questionnaires yet that know this case is going on, that might be watching content covering this case now that they know they haven't been called for jury duty. So that could be a very interesting thing if they run out of individuals. I think they probably tried to go above and beyond to make sure that that wouldn't happen, but it can happen. And if they do run out, they just call more. So they're going to need to seat at least 12 jurors plus alternates. This is a three, four week trial. So I think they might seat four to six alternates. Given the nature of the case, it could be less. It could be more. And then we'll see. We'll see the process of selecting alternates. A lot of courts don't tell the alternates who the alternates are until after they seat. You know, if they're taking extra jurors, hey, we're going to seat 18. And then at the end, we'll draw straws for who's the alternate. It helps people stay engaged because they never know if they're going to be deliberating or not. When you tell people they're the alternates, it's like, Thanks, coach. Never going to play. I'm just going to sit here and uh, pay Havzi's attention because, you know, you're not as invested if you're just the alternate. Sometimes people are. Sometimes they aren't. So I like the process of letting alternates know when they go back for deliberations that they are, in fact, the alternate. that's really what's going on with Wadir. Could this take all week? Yes. Could we start this trial and start opening statements on Wednesday? Possibly. But there are still outstanding motions that the court hasn't ruled on, and we need to talk about that after a word from our sponsor. Today's sponsor, Grove, has everything you need for a sustainable home, and they make it easy because it's all in one place. No guessing. Their aim is to make living a healthy lifestyle, easy and accessible for you and your family. You can get everything from concentrated cleaners, which I love because they have glass spray bottles that are color-coded, so you know your glass cleaner, from your everyday cleaner, from your shower cleaner. I I absolutely love a color coded system and the concentrates just go in water. And then you don't have to buy plastic bottle after plastic bottle of household cleaner. Plus, they have things like hand soap and laundry detergent, even cat toys. Grove carries over 360 plastic-free items. And by 2025, everything Grove makes and sells will be plastic-free. With your first Grove order, they will set you up with free 60 days of VIP, which includes things like free shipping, quarterly gifts, and early access. Did I mention that it was easy? You know that this is a core component of my life, making things easy. Easy. And that is what I love about Grove. If you're ready to try it for yourself, join over 2 million households already using Grove. Go to grove.com slash lawnard today for your free starter kit plus free shipping with your first order. That's grove.com slash lawnard. Let's get back to today's episode. Y'all know I've mentioned that we record a lot of these podcast episodes with the members on Patreon or on YouTube. Well, one of our youtube members, Sally Beth, let us know that they announced that they would call nine hundred. I hadn't seen that, so now we know they're calling nine hundred jurors. Look, Chad is Bay. So thank you to the members for letting me know because look it's it's like outsourcing your brain to thousands of people. It's really the most fantastic thing ever, and that's why I absolutely love it. So let's get into this motion, and if you want that behind the scenes access. For yourself, it is in the description. Again, this was filed like literally on the cusp of trial on January 18th. It is a very detailed, it's a very detailed motion. Is this motion partly for the media? Is this the defense's last time to really get their theory out there? Yeah. Is this written as if it's partly for the media? Yep. (laughs) Yes, it is. Does that mean we're not going to cover it? No, sure doesn't. Because you know what we want? We want the information that's in this this motion. I want to know what they have to say too. And this is going to be a big deal. We've seen this argued in court already. The blood spatter expert is a huge sticking point in this trial when you have two people shot reportedly at close range with two high velocity weapons. So this is coming from defendant Richard Alexander Murdoch, look, the chat had already voted that we can interpose between calling him Alex, Alec, and and Dick. His first name is Richard. Look, his defense attorney's first name is also Richard, and he also goes by Dick. So sometimes it might just be Dick. And then everybody in the chat's going to be like, well, which one, the attorney or the attorney? They're both attorneys. Okay, the attorney or the defendant. We'll see which one we're talking about when we get there. Defendant through undersigned counsel, you know, Dick is asking for Dick, asks the court to prohibit the state from offering at trial any testimony regarding blood spatter from Tom Bevel, any other principal associate or employee of Bevel, Garner and Associates, or any officer of the state or any other person whose opinion derives from Mr. Bevel's work product as a sanction for Mr. Bevel and the state's deliberate refusal to comply with the court's order compelling production of documents related to Mr. Bevel's opinions. So this is truly a motion for sanctions. The sanction here being, fine, you didn't turn over what you're supposed to turn over, they don't get to testify. Further, Mr. Murdoch requests the court award him costs and attorney's fees incurred with the motion practice concerning Mr. Bevel. Mr. Murdoch asks that the court delay considering this request for costs until after trial. Your Honor, we don't know how expensive this will be until we're at the end. The introduction. On these are like the facts. We're not going to go through all of this. We're going to quickly go through the facts. On June 7th, Alec Murdaugh's wife, Maggie, and son Paul were brutally murdered near the dog kennels at the family home on Moselle, as on Moselle Road, called well, referenced as Moselle throughout this trial. As Mr. Murdaugh has noted in previous motions, the state immediately decided Alec was guilty. Ah. Before anyone collected, investigated, or reviewed any evidence and unable to build a solid case against Mr. Murdoch to present in court, instead engaged in a campaign of selective and deceptive leaks to news media to convince the public that Murdoch is guilty before he has tried to look man. When I said this motion was partly for the court and, and a lot for the public, none of this is really the full background of the thing. And this motion is to exclude blood spatter expert testimony. So why are we complaining that they believe that the prosecution has leaked things to the media? Remember, it took the prosecution over a year to charge Alec Murdoch of these murders. So their thing is, look, they can't prosecute him in the court of law, so they're prosecuting me in the court of public opinion through selective and deceptive leaks to news media. It goes on to say, perhaps the most extraordinary leak occurred in April 2022 when the state told, and again, well, no, Emily, keep reading and then explain, when the state told Fitz News that, quote, a shirt worn by Alec Murdoch on the night his wife and son were murdered was found to have a significant amount of high-velocity impact spatter on it. From at least one of their bodies, and that, quote, the presence of this forensic evidence on his clothing could have only come from one thing, i.e., quote, the spatter indicates that Murdoch was physically close to one or more of his family members when they were shot. Mandy Matney, high velocity impact spatter, directly ties Alec Murdoch to the double homicide sources say, Fitz News, April 26, 2022. He goes on to say the only possible motive for this leak was to convince the public that Mr. Murdaugh was guilty of the murders before trial, even before he was formally charged. This leak was an extrajudicial statement made on behalf of the state with the deliberate intent to prejudice the present proceedings. It was also a lie. Mandy Matney took to Twitter to indicate that that statement made in this motion is not accurate. So it will be interesting to see how this plays out. But again, this doesn't. This isn't a sanction being sought because the, the prosecution or police may or may not, or allegedly, they're alleging it, leaked something to Fitz News. That's not the basis of this motion. The basis of this motion is they say that the state didn't turn over documents, but that's not what they're going on about. Why are we going on about this if not just to get one more bite at the apple to to talk about the the state trying him in the court of public opinion or whatever. They say the leaked information was the purported opinion of Tom Bevel of Bevel Gardner and Associates. Mr. Bevel is a retired Oklahoma City police officer with no credentials in any scientific discipline. Well, if he's going to be called as an expert, this is going to be fiery and this is going to come up. However, law enforcement officers receive a substantial amount of training, so there might be a lot of training that isn't credentialed. It says, on the night of the murders, uh, Sled collected the white cotton t-shirt Mr. Murdoch was wearing when he discovered Maggie and Paul's bloody bodies. It goes on to say, Sled retained Mr. Bevel to opine that the shirt is stained with high-velocity blood spatter that could only come from being in proximity with them at the time of their murders. It's interesting the way that they word this, but again, this is Advoc this is advocacy. So this is writing in the way that it's um, most most beneficial to the defense. But they say Sled retained Bevel to opine. They retained him to form this specific opinion. Not they retained him to investigate. Not they retained him to uh, look into this more deeply. They are alleging that the state hired this expert to say what they wanted him to say. It's It's an interesting way of putting that out there, but of course, this is what the defense has been saying all along because there's some difference in opinion between two different experts in this case, and that is going to be a very big deal when it comes to trial, I think. The motion goes on to say that without knowing the shirt tested negative for human blood, Mr. Bevel's initial report correctly determined that there was no high-velocity blood spatter on the shirt. So when we talk about two different reports, they're breaking it down in their motion from their perspective. It also stated that spatter was unlikely to be on the shooter at all. Only after badgering and a personal visit from SLED officials did Mr. Bevel change his report, both to say that it turns out abundant spatter is on the t-shirt after all, and that the spatter likely would be on the person who shot Paul, although Paul's DNA is not found on the areas of the shirt that Mr. Bevel now says have spatter. In reaching... This opposite conclusion, Bevel cited no new evidence except an in-person examination of the t-shirt after it was destroyed for purposes of forensic testing by the unnecessary application of an oxidizing chemical stain, and after Mr. Bevel told the state it had no evidentiary value to him. So the state said, no, the shirt can't be used, and then it was like, oh, but the shirt can be used. If this individual testifies, this is going to be an entire sideshow of the testing of this shirt. But what we know from cases like the O.J. Simpson trial is that one evidentiary thing can be the thing that the jury looks at and is like, no, the investigators messed that up. They didn't do that right. And that's where you get your O.J. Simpson if the blood or if the the blood, we're talking about blood here, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. That's, That's the kind of import the back and forth on this shirt could have to this trial. There's no blood, is there blood? There's no DNA, is there DNA? This is going to be a problem for the prosecution and it's an opportunity and it might be one of the few that the defense can capitalize on in this case saying this was a rush to judgment. They didn't even look for whoever the real killer is. This is not um, Alec Murdoch and see, uh, the shirt doesn't even show that. What's interesting to me though, is if he's wearing a white shirt and his wife and son have been shot, And he happens upon them after they've been shot. On the 911 call, he's told not to touch them. And he's like, I already have, I already have. I was checking to see if they were still alive. Wouldn't you expect there to be blood on the shirt? If your wife or spouse or partner and child are shot and you stumble across them, wouldn't you expect somebody to have their blood on them? to kneel down to where they are, to grab them, to touch them, to shake them, to, abs- I don't know what you do in that situation, to absolutely lose your mind and then try to call the police. But wouldn't you expect that the white shirt wouldn't be spotless? I would. I would expect your pants wouldn't be spotless. And if he, he's already told 911 that he has touched them, then why don't you see where he's wiped a hand on his pants or wiped a hand on his shirt to try to dial 911 after he's grabbed his wife or after he's grabbed his son to try to see if they are still alive or to try to figure out what is happening. I would expect a shirt to have staining, not spatter. That's what I would expect. But if you have spatter, it's something entirely different. And if you don't have a ton of spatter, then Could you have someone who was wearing an overshirt or an overcoat and then took it off? And if you stumble upon someone you love like this and aren't worried about people thinking you did it, I think you're probably not going to worry about the fact that you have their blood on you because of course you do because you've stumbled into the unthinkable and have touched them because of course you have. So it's interesting to me the lack of blood staining. I don't know if the prosecution's going to argue that or not, but we'll see what they say about the spatter. But this expert, if this expert is called to testify, then this is going to introduce problems into this case based on the two different reports. And then if he has anything else in his history or other cases he's testified in, because this is what he does, those will come up too. This could be a full day of testimony. This blood spatter expert about this blood spatter expert. And shifting the focus from Alec Murdoch to Mr. Bevel. Well, your first report said this and your next report said this. The defense is waiting for this person to testify. And I wonder if this motion is kind of a red herring to make the prosecution double down on this expert. Because if you double down, it gives the defense Something that's got questions and something they can tangibly point to. See, these two reports are different. See, this is the prosecution reaching. This is the government overstretching their authority. And it gives them something to argue that could put doubt into the minds of the jurors. But for a prosecutor, it takes a lot of courage to not call a blood spatter expert when you are alleging somebody shot their wife and son with high velocity weapons and two different high-velocity weapons. I'm very interested to see how this plays out, because this is a tactical decision that this prosecutor would have talked to with everyone they know, and will probably, in their mind, be going back and forth on. Maybe not. Maybe there's other evidence they know that makes this make sense in the puzzle piece that is a trial. We'll see. Dick Harputlian in this motion argues that all of this came to light because SLED disclosed a copy of Bevel's first report by mistake. And because Mr. Murdaugh's counsel requested a microscopic examination of the t-shirt, it shouldn't be a mistake. Reports had by the state go to the defense. That's how that works. Mr. Murdaugh's counsel requested microscopic examination of the t-shirt, forcing the state to admit it had been destroyed. By destroyed, they don't mean like incinerated. By destroyed, they mean that it had been tested with chemicals that made it so it couldn't be further tested based on the destruction of the t-shirt and evident bad faith conduct surrounding the spatter analysis murdoch moves to exclude it under state versus cheeseboro and ask for an evidentiary hearing mr murdoch also moved to compel production of bevel's case file including communications photographs and other documents given to or received from him by sled the court granted the motion to compel orally on December twenty twenty two in writing on December 19th, 2022. And then they go through the timeline of this blood spatter expert. But the titles are like, SLED tries but fails to find evidence against Alec Murdoch. And then they go through um, that. June 8th, 2021, the white t-shirt Murdoch was wearing is tested for gunshot primer residue. Only three particles of GSR are found. Interesting, because GSR indicates you're in the area of a gun when a gun went off. But also... Here's my other question on that, because prosecutor, if you're going to argue, defense, that GSR is found, and again, this leads me to believe he could have been wearing something over the white shirt and taken it off. But if you are touching um, Maggie and Paul, to the point where it's like oh well he touched them so gunshot residue got on him cuz it was on them then why isn't there blood more blood blood from touching them after they have been shot with high velocity weapons it's this w- this would not be a scene with a little bit of blood this would be a scene with a lot of blood um so if if you're close enough to get gunshot residue on you aren't you close enough to also have blood on you and If you have only three particles of gunshot residue on the shirt, I think that there's an overlayer. How much time between Alec Murdoch's 911 call and police arriving will be interesting to me. And again, this is on a 170 plus acre property. And I think when SLED originally showed up, Murdoch got the benefit of the doubt. I don't think they looked at him as a suspect initially. I really don't. The defense is going to argue that. I don't think they did. I think they looked at this as the most cursed family in the world. It's like, how do these tragedies keep happening to them? I don't think they were looking at him as a suspect when they, when they um, first showed up on the scene. So they say only three particles of GSR are found, which SLED analysts believe is consistent with transfer from recently holding a firearm and not necessarily indicative of having recently fired a firearm. What firearm are you holding? On June 9th, the small cutting is taken from the front hem of the t-shirt and tested with a presumptive test for blood in which hemoglobin catalyzes the oxidation of colorless, I cannot pronounce, phenophalatin well. I don't, I, these are, these are the things I asked my experts before trial. I'm like, can you remind me how to pronounce these things? And I still got it wrong every single time and they would correct me and I'd be like, thank you. I can't. A presumptive test only indicates the possible presence of blood. Possible presence of blood. Many chemicals, including fabric detergent residues, can also cause the oxidative reaction, so the test is not conclusive. The cutting responds uh, positively to the presumptive test and is tested for DNA. So presumptive test for blood, yes, then they test it for DNA. On July 21st, 2021, SLED tests the T-shirt with LCV. The testing is conducted by Uh, Lieutenant Wallace of the SLED Crime Scene Forensic Unit. The T-shirt is photographed, hung, sprayed with LCV, photographed again and laid out and gridded with a string. Large areas of the shirt containing spots that immediately react to the LCV are cut from the shirt and sent for DNA testing, which is conducted by SLED analyst Sarah Zapeta. The DNA tests are conducted on several unlabeled subcuttings from each of the larger cuttings and then they go through that process. On July 25th, SLED issues the DNA report for the cuttings made on July 21st. One cutting from the back of the shirt tested positive for Maggie's DNA. This is not going to be conclusive because they were married. They live in the same home. So having someone's DNA on your shirt in a familial setting is not necessarily strong evidence one way or the other. One tested positive for Paul's DNA while excluding Maggie as the contributor. One tested positive for Maggie's DNA while excluding Paul. And a third tested positive for Maggie without excluding Paul. So there was DNA from them on the shirt. On August 10th, 2021, SLED takes more subcuttings from the larger cuttings from the t-shirt. And Miss Cepeda performs a hemotrace test to confirm the presence of human blood. And then it describes the hemotrace test. And it says every cutting from the shirt tested negative for human blood. So they're saying all of the cuttings they took tested negative. And if they tested negative, how do we get to this blood spatter? On September 23rd, Mr. Bevel provides an estimate to SLED of $11,000 for analysis and a written report. That's not uncommon. And then they go through the additional testing. So we're getting testing after testing after testing on this shirt. On November 10th, 2021, SLED issues a supplemental report to the July 25th reports, noting No human blood detected for each cutting from the T-shirt. This is a lot for the prosecution to explain. On December 15th, Lieutenant Gett tells Mr. Bevel, the case documents will be transferred via evidence.com and in the event any physical evidence is needed for your work, Lieutenant Wallace will coordinate shipping this to you. On January 4th, the evidence.com link is resent to Mr. Bevel. Look, for the defense to say they didn't get a lot of the reports uh, they have an awful lot of information. So I think the defense got quite a lot of the reports because they have a full timeline. The hematrace test results are withheld from Mr. Bevel. February 4th, Mr. Bevel provides Sled his initial report dated February 3rd, opining that stains on the white shirt are consistent with transfers and not backspatter from a bullet wound. That's the original report. This initial report also opines that he would expect little to no spatter on the shooter or his or her clothing resulting from the shooting of Paul and none resulting from the shooting of Maggie. Mr. Bubble further opines for there to be little to no backspatter on the shooter or their clothing is certainly possible for this incident. So I need the rest of the information, but these are also weapons that can be shot from further away. So is it that we opine that given the autopsies and everything else that the shooter was far enough away that they wouldn't have spatter on them but then why does it change because that's perfectly reasonable and explainable that's a possibility these uh okay so are these at close range or not at close range we're gonna need to know the next subheading is sled and mr bevel decide to fabricate evidence against alec murdoch look that's if if this is what comes out of trial and again this is the defense's position of what happened and normally the defense makes more out of things that can be explained later but not always um this is the type of thing that can introduce doubt into a case which is interesting to me cuz then if you're the defense why keep it out or are you trying to make are you playing 3D chess and trying to make the def- the prosecution double down and keep this expert in They say on February 8th, 2022, Bevel has a Zoom conference with Agent Owen and others at SLED to discuss his report. During this Zoom conference, Bevel asked to inspect the T-shirt. On February 15th, Lieutenant Wallace and Lieutenant Schenk, Schenk, S-C-H-E-N-K, examine the T-shirt and determine it is destroyed for purposes of further testing due to the LCV oxidation. Wallace takes a photograph of the shirt on his cell phone and sends it to Ghent. Ghent emails the photographs to Bevel, asking him whether the shirt in this condition will still be of potential use for your examination of the stains in question, stating, if you believe so, we will make arrangement to have the shirt and cuttings delivered to you. Bevel replies, I would say that it doesn't look promising, but if I testify at trial, I would prefer to say that I saw it in person and make that determination. And the cuttings are probably more important than the rest of the shirt. So yes, please send them to business address. Um, As noted above, this is Bevel's home address. Great defense. Why is the man having things brought to his home address? Use a business address. This is going to end up in court filings. On February 16th, Agent Owen emails Mr. Bevel that due to chain of custody issues, I will hand deliver the shirt for your review. Chain of custody meaning when you talk about it, you need to know how the shirt, from the time the shirt gets off of Alec Murdoch to the police, you need to know who's handling that shirt, what is happening to it if you're going to use it as trial. If it's evidence, you need a chain of custody to everything that goes on with it. And then they talk about the shirt getting over to the expert and then the emails. On March 7th, Bevel, again, emails Agent Owen, I have been working on enhancements of the overall photos of the front of the shirt and see some possible tiny stains that may be spatter. With a higher quality photo, we may be able to state More than I thought we could with what I have currently received. The larger, elongated stain we focused on that was easy to see in the photos is not what I'm looking for. It's the teeny stains, which I'm hoping the lab notes will address in higher quality photos will show. So then it's now that I'm seeing this in person, maybe there's more now that I'm seeing it in person. And that can also be explained in testimony, but this testimony is going to take at least a day and it's going to be. it's going to be interesting. I want them to ask, um, sir, why did you have evidence delivered to your house? Because I got questions. Agent Owen and Lieutenant Wallace travel to Oklahoma to meet with Bevel to discuss his report. They meet at the police laboratory. That makes sense. Lieutenant Wallace forwards an email to Mr. Bevel attaching a photocopy of what they appear to be her handwritten notes, and then they go through that. On March 21st, 2022, Agent Owen enthusiastically to Bevel's March 14th email, Good afternoon, Tom. Just inquiring about the peer review and report status. Thank you, sir. David, on March 22, 2022, Agent Owen receives a revised report from Bevel opining that 100-plus stains are consistent with spatter on the front of the T-shirt. The final report also eliminates the opine that Mr. Bevel would expect, quote, little to no spatter on the shooter or his clothing resulting from the shooting of Paul, instead opining that quote, due to the gra due to gravity. Not like the gravity of the situation, like the Earth's rotational pull, due to gravity. Emily, it's not appropriate to start singing Defying Gravity. It's not. It's not appropriate. It's a podcast and you can't sing. Keep moving. Due to gravity, along with blood impacting those areas with su- sufficient force, secondary spatter may also have been created raining down back into the scene and potentially on the shooter. The shooter is certainly in a close enough range to get spatter on their clothing. He's going to have some explaining to do. The shooter is certainly in a close enough range to get spatter on their clothing. How did we get from the shooter is not close enough to the shooter is close enough? I have questions. And the defense is going to be like, sir, you had evidence in a high-profile murder case delivered to your home. I still can't get over that. What? It, when you're doing this kind of testing and you're doing this kind of expert testimony, the testing has to be done at a lab. <sighs> Y'all, we're going we're gonna to take a breath for a moment because we have one more sponsor to thank today before we get back into it. Ladies, we've talked about things that he may love, but let's talk about something You will love. And that's our sponsor, Honey Love. Honey Love is revolutionizing the bra game and making it really easy to feel supported without being poked, prodded, gripped, grabbed, (laughs) and tweaked you'll immediately feel and see the difference. And for a limited time, you can get Honey Love on sale. I know, I'm picking up more things for myself. I absolutely love the crossover bra. So try Honey Love for yourself to get 20% off your entire order at honeylove.com using code LONARD. I wore the crossover bra recently to film a sit-down with Hulu because I didn't want back bulges from my bra when they were filming me. It was something that made me so nervous and knowing that that would all be super smooth made me feel so much more comfortable sitting down in front of the cameras i think that you will love it go and give it a try honeylove.com use code lawnard support the show and support the girls give yourself a little bit of love let me know what you think let's get back to today's show i'm really interested to see how this sorts out from the first from the first report to the second report Because if you give the opinion, oh, it makes sense that the shooter would have no blunt on them to then get to the opinion. Well, maybe it was missed and gravity pulled it back down onto the shooter. It's, we have questions. We have questions. Agent Owen confirmed receipt that he and Mr. Bevel quote, is Ken Martin the only that did peer review? I was under the impression that there would be a round table of five to six colleagues. Ken Martin is an associate employed by Mr. Bevel's firm. March 23rd, Agent Owen discussed the revised report with Mr. Bevel based on emails that day and the previous day. The nature of the discussion appears to be to correct typos in the revised report. I mean, that's fair. It's like, sir, sir, we have to, we have to put this in front of a jury. Can we please correct the typos? Can we please correct the typos? The identity of those recognized bloodstain pattern experts is undisclosed. So, who who has talked about it? On March 29th, 2022, Mr. Pebble provides his final report, largely identical to his previous revised report, but adding the following at the end. The t shirt has been evaluated by six recognized bloodstain pattern experts, all agreeing that the best explanation for the stains on the shirt are spatter from approximately the bottom third to the top of the shirt and transfers on the bottom third down to the hem of the shirt. All agree they cannot identify some other mechanism to create the distribution and sizes of the questioned stains matter. And the defense says those experts are undisclosed. Who are the six people? This edition is obviously a response to Agent Owen's request on March 22nd, 2022 for a roundtable of reviewers agreeing with the report on april 20th 2022 bevel sends sled an invoice for ten thousand plus dollars the invoice addresses for payment remission is the home address of craig gravel a retired oklahoma police officer who is a partner at the associate i don't know why the defense felt the need to include photos of these locations but why aren't these going to offices April 26, 2022, SLED leaks the blood spatter evidence to Fitz News in a calculated attempt to prejudice criminal proceedings. Look, I understand where the checks are going is concerning, but in a public motion, they are putting in who it is, what their job is, the address, and a photo of the location for what purpose. They've done it twice in this motion. They know this motion is going to be reviewed by the media. For what purpose is that in there? And this is a public document that anyone can go grab from the court. Not redacted. A, those who are involved in this uh, company shouldn't be using their home addresses for this because this is the risk that you run, that if you are using your home address in an official capacity that then there's a defense attorney who's going to be like, oh, by the way, this person by this name who had this job and is retired from here now lives at this address. Here's a photo. But it feels unnecessary to include that in this motion for me. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, or maybe it's sought to intimidate people. I don't know. It feels extra. But a lot of things this defense team had done are a bit extra. But also, there's questions about the report. Ask the questions. I have questions too. But is it need? Is the other stuff needed? Not for this, not for this report. Or you could just note this check was sent to this individual at their home address. If the court needs that, it's for file. But that's not what they did. That's not what they did. And it feels to me, calculated. And that's just my opinion. They go on to talk about the lead prosecutor and the prosecution team talking about the shirt, talking about blowing up the pixels. This, we're going to have a pinch and zoom conversation in this case. Can you just pinch and zoom the picture? How are pixels interpolated? Does the pinch and zoom add things into the pixels? Digital evidence shouldn't be mystifying at this point. It's 2023 there should have been a high-resolution photo taken. They should not have to pinch and zoom the photos. They should be taking the photos and talking about how the photos are interpreted by whatever software they're running them through. It's going to be very interesting. On the call, Mr. Bevel observes, how do they know what's on the call? I imagine somebody made a report about it. On the call, Mr. Bevel observes that the magnifying digital photographs could not substitute for microscopic examination because that would just be blowing up pixels. And I don't see that doing anything that would help identify blood spatter. Of course, later in November, he claims to have done exactly that when changing his opinion from no blood spatter to lots of blood spatter. Purportedly, in response to Photoshop enhancements of digital photos, Mr. Pevel also assures Mr. Walters that defense counsel's purpose in requesting an examination of the t-shirt is merely giving us busy work to keep us busy and guessing. <sighs> Lots of questions about this digital evidence. On November 23rd, 2022, Mr. Murdoch files a motion to exclude at about noon. The basis for the motion is destruction of the t-shirt. And we covered on YouTube the hearing about this. The motion includes a request for an order compelling production of all communications between Mr. Bevel and the state. At 3.30 p.m., the state produces a set of communications with Mr. Bevel. These emails reveal to the defense that when Bevel could not usefully examine the shirt, He used Photoshop to edit the color of the stains on the shirt. And that was his assisted, uh, and that was his asserted basis for changing his opinion. Photoshop. It goes on to say on November 28th, Murdoch files a motion to compel Bevel's records and all communications. And then it talks about the court granting that. On December 9th, the court hears the motion to compel materials regarding Mr. Bevel. The court orally grants the motion from the bench. And then they talk about the court formalizing that motion later and talks about trying to get all of the information, which they are entitled to and deserve. On December 18th, 2022, Mr. Bevel writes a supplemental report regarding his at-home quote-unquote science fair experiment, that's the defense's word, based on his purported discovery in his garage or kitchen or wherever that hematrace always returns a false positive when tested on surfaces previously treated with LCV. He concludes that negative hematrace results from Mr. Murdrow's t-shirt are not relevant to whether blood spatter is present on his shirt because it was treated with LCV before it was tested with hematrace. They should know that. That should be known. It should be known. Like if you do this kind of testing, it's going to negate this other type of testing. On December 21st, three and a half hours before the scheduled call with Mr. Bevel, the state produces Bevel's supplemental report on his quote unquote science fair experiment. Mr. Waters called about one hour before the production to alert defense counsel On the call, Mr. Waters, this is the prosecutor, sounds embarrassed. He seemed unaware Mr. Bevel was performing quote unquote science fair experiments at his home in Oklahoma to disprove the results of tests conducted in SLED's brand new multimillion dollar forensic laboratories. If you have a battle of the experts, you sure as fuck don't want the experts to be from the same side. What you don't need is the prosecution's um hired expert and the law enforcement to have a battle betwixt themselves because you know what that gives the defense opportunity to do yeah argue doubt argue reasonable doubt sure does sure does create a problem footnote one is an article about new sled lab biggest chunk of hundred million requested by law enforcement agencies for construction Defense counsel postpones the call with Mr. Bevel. It has not been rescheduled. Well, it's a bit late now. December 28th, Mr. Waters, prosecutor, responds, we have been actively working on this issue around the holidays. We were hoping to get it uploaded before Christmas by Dropbox, but Sled got a text from Mr. Bevel Friday the 23rd that it was gonna take 13 hours. So he bought an external hard drive to send. I'm advised by Sled that the hard drive is in fact FedExed by Mr. Bevel and is due to be out for delivery to SLED Hate uh, headquarters. So the expert had to put all of his information on a hard drive and ship it over Christmas. On December 29th, defense receives a copy of the hard drive from Mr. Bevel. It contains 46 gigs of materials. There are no, quote, raw image files. There are no Photoshop files. Oh, it sounds like Amber Heard's defense discovery production. You shouldn't have the prosecution not, not doing it. And this is going to... The prosecution is responsible for what their experts turn over. At the end of the day, the prosecution can get in trouble. Their case can be hampered. In a civil case, it's different. But in a criminal prosecution, not turning over raw images and the Photoshop files and whatever else is going to be a potential problem. There are no photographs whatsoever except for a slide contained in a PowerPoint presentation and a very low resolution resolution JPEG image labeled slide one and slide two. I bet you the prosecutor called up this expert and screamed at him. Mr. Babel produced no notes or analysis notes regarding any spatter. It's like, sir, we hired you. We paid you. You have to turn this over. You can't not turn over your files. You're an expert in a criminal case for the prosecution. You're obligated to turn it over. Do not fuck this up, but this is a problem. Unfortunately, we don't have the prosecution's response. We'll hear it in court. This is gonna have to be addressed before trial, which started today. December 30th, the attorney general's office produces its own communications with Mr. Bevel. Mr. Bevel is a problem. January 9th, Mr. Waters receives a report by Deputy Kinsey that mirrors and expressly relies on Mr. Bevel's report January 13th, the state produces Deputy's Kinsey report to the defense. January 18th, this motion is filed. Let's talk about Deputy Kinsey's report real quick. Deputy Kinsey's report is organized around the same 12 investigative questions with Mr. Bev that Mr. Bevel used in his report and essentially paraphrases Bevel's opinions on those questions, with one notable exception. In response to IQ four, are bloodstains on Alex's white t-shirt consistent with backsbatter from a gunshot? Deputy Kinsey repeats Bevel's paraphrase or phrase about 100 plus stains, then opines, quote, the smaller stains that are present after treatment with LCV appear to be high velocity impact stains only caused by a gunshot or high speed machinery. But he then pivots 180 degrees to include, quote, after consideration of the original opinion, analysis reports and follow up examination, this expert cannot render an opinion On IQ4 above, there is inconsistency within these experts, and I want to know how the prosecution's going to address it. We're going to have to wait and see. There is inconsistency within these experts as presented by the defense. Could the defense be interpreting things in their own way? Sure. Could there be a reasonable explanation? Maybe. But they've raised questions in this motion, and if they are able to argue this way, to the jury with a straight face after the state puts in this evidence, there are questions here. They then go on to argue the legal standard, that the court has not met that standard, and that the court has not adequately turned over documents. They also include other layouts of the crime scene where um, Maggie and Paul were found, and we know we're going to see some of those graphs when this comes to trial. It was included as exhibits to this motion this is going to be an issue in trial. It might not be the only issue. We know that the defense's whole job at trial is not necessarily to prove who did it. They're not going to try to prove an alternate theory. I don't think they should, but to try to prove it wasn't ALEC. And so that is their job, is to poke holes in all of this and say, see, there was such a rush to judgment. They did all of this and messed it all up. And that might be enough for doubt. We don't know. We've only seen the motions. The motions are advocacy. They are not the evidence as it comes out in court. But this seems like a giant cluster around the blood spatter in a case where a lot of people can't wrap their head around the allegation that someone would kill their own family members. Then again, Alec Murdoch hired someone to kill him. If I'm the defense, would I maybe? No, you can't argue it as the defense. Me, Prosecutor brain, would you just argue he hired someone to kill them? I mean, he hired someone to kill him? Doesn't help in this case. They're not alleging that Alec Murdoch hired someone to kill Maggie and Paul. They're alleging that he killed Maggie and Paul. And that is a very different case. It's going to be very interesting to see this Uh, play out, there are updates in other cases I've been covering it, and I'm going to try to do those at the beginning of each Emily show in the weeks to come before I talk about what's going on in trial and then doing very brief summaries of the week in trial on Friday in the Quick Bits podcast. That is my plan going forward. Lots of Murdoch trial coverage. Buster Murdoch, the son, is on this witness list. Are they going to call the surviving son? He was on the phone with his father. Um, are we going to see videos from social media that shows that Alec Murdoch was at the crime scene when he said he wasn't? We're hearing that those are from Paul Murdoch's Snapchat. I don't know, but I'm very, very interested to see how the prosecution proves this case, how this evidence comes in, and what ends up happening with this pretrial motion. What's going to happen with blood spatter? and should the defense be trying to keep this out or do you introduce the incompetence or I can't say it's incompetence because it's just how the defense is is perceiving it and arguing it. But do you let this all come in and then argue? See, they're just trying to do anything they can to prove that it's him. This is overreaching by the government because they're incompetent and they couldn't find the actual murderer. See, their own experts don't agree. How can you? How can you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Know that this man did this beyond a reasonable doubt when even the experts can't agree. The prosecution's own experts can't agree. You must acquit. I could see that being argued. But there are questions here, and questions lead to doubt. And that is something this case does not need. This needs to be a very tight case when you are accusing someone of the worst and when a jury's going to have their work cut out for them wrapping their mind around a motive for a crime like this. I can't wait to hear your thoughts, law nerds. Stay tuned. I'll be doing gavel-to-gavel coverage on YouTube. So if you like live trial coverage at the Emily D. Baker on YouTube, come on over, join the Law Nerd chat. It is a fantastic community. You will not be disappointed. And I look forward to talking at you about trial for the next three weeks while you're at work, at home, driving, cleaning, doing all the things because we've got got our next trial. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being a lot honored. It's time to raise a glass or in my case, a Stanley, you know, fuck ton of water. (laughs) I was going to say something else and I was like, no, it's actually just a fuck ton of water because we need to stay hydrated. May your families be well. May your, that was not the way I start, but that's what's on my mind with this case. So we're just going with it right now. May your families be well, first and foremost. May your, you know, Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your grocery store not be out of random stuff every single time you go. I cannot I cannot predict it anymore. And may the odds be ever in your favor. I will see you in the next one and I will see you on YouTube for live trial coverage. All right, law Nerd's. I don't know how this one's gonna go and I'm very interested. You can find more law Nerd goodness in our private law Nerd community over at LawNerdsUnite.com. And if you wanna stay up to date with everything I'm covering, you can follow me on social media at the Emily D. Baker. I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I recap those streams for those of you a little pressed for time over on the Quick Bits podcast and Quick Bits YouTube channel. Thanks for being a honored.